Just one second while we read scripture. Gotcha. Some of you already sat down. Scripture today, Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. This is God's word. You can be seated. <clears throat> we'll dismiss the school-age kids to the back. And there they go. <clears throat> Do they get a treat for who shows up first or something? Is that why they... I've been working with this little problem with my voice, and my doctor told me um, maybe one of the problems is singing and worship beforehand. So, but it's just hard not to sing, you know? Maybe we got to move worship to the end. I don't know. Um, I'm excited to be with you today. <clears throat> Before we jump in the text, I want to give you just a quick update um, on our uh, Above and Beyond initiative. If you were with us about six months ago, we went through uh, eight weeks just talking about that we serve in Above and Beyond God and what might God do in our body um, if we ask him the question, Lord, what would you have me do? And then we followed in obedience. We risk obedience. And God did some incredible things in our church during that few weeks and is continuing to do some things. But I want to give you a couple uh, just quick logistic updates on where we're at as a way um, just to keep you in the loop. Um, one, we have secured bank approval to go to the next step. That was a big thing. It's, it really is, really is a big thing. So we're excited about that. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that. <clears throat> They've also like locked us in at a rate. So uh, I was panicking because, you know, the rate, the interest rate just keeps going. So they've locked us in, which is phenomenal. Um, we weren't able to raise enough money in our local body. And so we began praying. Uh, you know, you guys committed about uh, almost $400,000. And so we were praying that God might meet that need from outside the church. And I've told some of you this, but... Uh, I got a call from somebody who's familiar with our church. They don't go to our church. And they said, I was driving down the road and the Lord told me that to give Covenant Church $200,000. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, amen to that. She gave me the check and I was trembling. I was like, I've never held that much money. That's, that's, that's amazing. Um, so that's the thing. Um, and we're hoping we might be able to break ground next month. I mean, we're that close. We're waiting on kind of some uh, the architect to finish some plans and we could be in that thing, um, who knows, I don't know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not giving timetables, you know, they say all these things. I thought we had already broken ground. But God's doing an incredible thing. If you weren't here through that and you want to join us in that, um, you can read more about it in your little connection guide, the Above and Beyond Initiative. You can jump on, uh, start giving directly towards that if you want. And, um, and God's doing just such a cool thing. I can't wait to see what he does. But let me remind you that God doesn't need buildings to move. Um, now you think about the early church, they had nothing. They just met in homes. They met at the synagogue. I feel like the last couple of weeks, everything has broken for us. I mean, we've had a couple crazy weeks. And I just feel like God's telling us, you know, not to take ourselves too seriously, uh, that he can move. And he can move in hearts, no matter if we have speakers or anything. He can just move, and that's what he does. And I pray today that he moves in your heart. I've been praying that all week. I pray you didn't show up just for just another Sunday thing, just the routine thing. We got so much busyness in our life. Sometimes we just, we just, Sunday's just the thing and we come. We haven't prepared our hearts. We haven't prepared our minds. 
And so I want to give you just a minute to do that. Could you just do that right where you're at? Would you just still your heart and mind for a second? Would you ask God to speak to you specifically? John 10, tell, Jesus tells us that my sheep hear my voice. And if you would just pray silently right where you're at, and I'm going to pray aloud in just a second, would you pray that God would speak to you this morning? God, if we've gathered here just to hear me talk or just to hear Rachel sing, we've, we've missed the point. Well, we've gathered, as we talked a couple weeks ago, as part of the striving side by side for faith in the gospel. And I pray this morning that our faith has strengthened the parts that we're struggling and doubting the sin that's coming against us. But I pray that we're able to see that you're greater than all those things. As we sang, Jesus, you are so worthy. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Those that are weak and weary, that you would comfort them, strengthen them. Those in this room that aren't part of your family, that they would take a step across the line of faith today, that you would, you would give them the gift of faith. And they would respond in courage by taking a step. Or speak to us. It's in your mighty name that we pray, amen. We've been in the book of Philippians for, we're supposed to be in it eight weeks, and we've already been eight weeks and we're in the middle of chapter two, so we're just going to just keep pushing through it, and part of the reason is because I've been reading it every day. I kind of challenge you to do the same, to read the book of Philippians, it takes about 12 or 13 minutes to get through the whole book. Um... If you're a slow reader, that's fine. It takes 20, 20 minutes. It's just so rich. In this passage specifically, uh, Connor actually spoke on <clears throat> the first couple verses of this uh, passage a couple weeks ago, and I encourage you to listen to that if you haven't already. But he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The text goes on, and this part's not on the screen. Jason's actually going to talk about this next week. But do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That phrase just really struck me this week, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Can I, can I just start with this question? Friends, do you shine as lights in a dark world, in a twisted and corrupt generation? Do you shine? Do, are you set apart? Is something so radically different about your life that you're light amongst darkness? Because I assume that more times than not, I look more like my lost neighbor than I do like the book of Acts. That, that my life fits the culture of this world more than it does the culture of the kingdom of heaven, more times than not, if I'm honest. And Paul telling this little church that he loves that they're supposed to live in such a way that they shine like stars like lights in a dark world. 
What about your life is so compelling, so different, so hopeful, so filled with joy? I went to a, a funeral a few weeks ago, Miss Nancy Skeins, uh, Kirsten and Rachel's mom, who uh, passed from this life uh, after a battle with cancer, and it happened pretty quickly. And uh, the funeral was in this little, I don't even know, I've been trying to describe the church to people. It's like this little country church, like people that wouldn't fit at First Baptist go to this church, right? They would wear ball caps and jeans. It just felt like a good comfy couch when you walked in, like, like, like it was a big hug is what it felt like. And they're in this, uh, this gym that looked like it was built by volunteers and uh, nothing fancy about it at all. But you walk in and you felt the presence of God in this room. I go in and I have my seat and uh, the pastor did this incredible job. Just, you could tell he loved her. They had a country gospel singer who wrote a song about her. That was pretty cool. And then they had the open mic, which is always scary at a funeral because you just don't know what crazy uncle's gonna stand up and talk at an open mic. So whenever they said they were doing the open mic, I was like, well, we could be here three hours. I don't know how long we're going to be here, you know. And story after story, it was an incredible funeral. It was how Miss Nancy, Ganey, I think is what they call her, Ganey, just loved people so well. One of the guys that started off the open mic night talked about how Miss Nancy had this uh, had this tradition where she would walk around and hug everybody in the church. <clears throat> touchy, she's an evidently touchy-feely person. Yeah, hug everybody. And he was visiting the church, and he saw her out of the corner of his eye, what she was doing the first time he got there. And so he said he tried to, like, position himself every week where, where she would pass over him. You know what I'm saying? So he said he started drinking coffee at the coffee place. He didn't drink coffee, but he was doing it just to get away from Miss Nancy because she was going to hug him. And a few months in, he just gave in, and it's like, well, I'm just going to receive the hug. It was probably five or six stories. was just about how Miss Nancy was a light in a dark world. And I just thought, man, I, I would love for my funeral to be like this. Testimony after testimony. How not me, but that the love of Jesus in me poured out on everyone that I got around. This woman, a sister in Christ, was a shining light among a twisted and corrupt generation. And my talk today is pretty simple. It may feel a little bit more like teaching, but the text has something incredible for us. He's talking about obedience, and he says that you should obey the teachings of Christ, the things that I taught you, even though I'm not with you. I want you to continue walking in obedience, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, works <clears throat> God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's the one that does the working. If you underline in your Bible, maybe you'd underline that part that God is at work in you. It's God who works in you. For every believer in this room today, who you are becoming matters to God. Who you're becoming None of us are finished work yet. A lot of us, na namely me, we got a, I got a long way to go. But God's still working. He's working in us. 
The verse above that said that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's really two main thoughts on interpreting that. One is the idea of fear and trembling with a, that we should, we should work our, out our salvation with a healthy fear of God. Fear, Proverbs tells us, fear of God is a, is a beginning of wisdom, that there would be a healthy fear. But another way, and I, I think both are true, that we work at our salvation with a fear of being disformed or a fear of being formed into the culture in which we live because we're fearful of looking more like our lost neighbor we work out our salvation and again let me remind you that grace is not opposed to effort it's opposed to earning you don't earn your salvation you work out it's it's not opposed to effort this is such an important perspective for us to keep in mind in a season of desert or difficulty, that our souls, so much like our bodies, in the sense that our muscles do not strengthen and grow if we don't exercise them, that we have to work out and we have to strengthen our soul and our faith. Those things will not be built up without intentional work. And that's not to say that spiritual growth is only a formula or a straight line But if you really want to grow to be more Christ-like, we have to first consider if we're walking in the rhythms that Christ walked in, the life he invited us to, the life he modeled for us, our souls and our minds and our heart and our strength require cultivation, require formation. Spiritual growth isn't as mystical as maybe we often make it. This is so simple yet so hard to do. Spiritual growth comes through obedience. It's just what it does. You hear the obedience, you hear the voice of God, you read the scripture. A lot of things we don't even need to mystically hear the voice of God for. It's in God's word. We see, we read, we feel conviction, we respond in obedience. And when we do that, even in the smallest of things, we grow we strengthen our minds and souls and heart. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this, uh, the, the marks of this new life. Y'all remember that in the, in the hip hip? Holiness and intimacy and power. And we want to grow in those things, this new access and this new ethic and this new way of life. We want to grow in that, of course, but that doesn't happen, doesn't manifest itself in us. No, Paul says, hey, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you see the intentionality, the work that it takes? That we would be children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So how do we become the kind of people who shine in the midst of a corrupt and crooked generation? In your everyday life. How do you make daily choices that transform your life to look more and more like Jesus, as Paul would say, from one degree of glory to the next? In Paul's mind, it's so simple. It's God who does the working, and we cooperate with God in that work. We don't kick against his work in us. We don't oppose his work in us. We participate with what God is doing in and around us. Dallas Willard One of my heroes, he speaks of the three major areas of formation 
that God uses to continue conforming us into Christ-likeness. And I'm going to talk about those three, and I, I pray they're going to be very helpful. He calls it the golden triangle. That our lives can be formed so deeply in the likeness of Christ, first of all, just by swapping out some simple practices for better ones. I was just thinking about it in my own life. What could I swap out? Instead of swipe, swiping on Instagram every available second, maybe I could read a devotional about how my soul matters to God. When I'm driving to work, I could drive in silence instead of listening to talk radio, or I could fill my car with worship music unto Abba. Instead of catching up on emails during my lunch break, what if, what if we went on a 10-minute walk and we just thanked God for the blessings in our life or we prayed for the people that we saw? If we listen for the voice of God, what if in saying yes, instead of saying yes to every offer that comes to you, you learn how to say a healthy no to some things so you create margin in your life for the voice of God? My hope is that everyone in this room, when we leave here, that we would have a spiritual formation plan. This is what the early church fathers called a rule of life. Just a, this isn't legalistic. This is just something that you're deciding you're going to do based on conviction and listening to the spirit and maybe some best practices that you're saying, you know what, Luke, I want to have that kind of life. I wanted my funeral people to stand up and talk about how I really was, they're making anything up, how I really was a light in the midst of a dark world. I want people to say that about me. I want to be the man God uses. I want to be the woman God uses. I want to, I want to live a compelling life. I want God to use me to snatch people from the domain of darkness and usher them into the kingdom of light by my life pointing them to Jesus. I want my life to count like that. Well, then what is your spiritual formation plan to get there? You know, every great movie, I'm thinking about Rocky right now, the, 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 the workout montage, there's no way he's going to win. No, but he starts training in the, in the snow. And he's, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's got to do it so he can build his muscles. Every, every good movie's got this, like, workout montage, like, you know, it's hype music, and he's working out, and he's doing the thing, and he's training, and he's going to be the best that he can be. And in, in, in the very similar way, although maybe not as glorious, I'm not running in the snow for this. We can have a spiritual formation plan. I mean, I've got a plan for everything else in my life. i got a financial plan. I come up with a financial plan. Some of you got, got to sit down with Dave, and he said, this is how much money you need to retire, and this is how much you need to save, and this is how much you need to live on. And he just got us a little plan, and we got a little budget together, and we had a, we had a financial plan. Some of you have, I'm married into one of those families that runs on Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm, not, I'm one of those. I didn't know that because they didn't run then. They bait and switched me. <clears throat> and so now I have to, I have to, <laughs> I have to train so I don't embarrass myself on, on Turkey Day. And I'm training, and I'm couched to 5 k and I'm more couched right now, but I'm going to get there, okay? Okay? <clears throat> I got a plan together. And I type in this little plan on my phone, and it tells me what I need to run every day, and tells me I should be running faster, basically, is what it tells me every day. But that's, that's I got a plan. That's the point. And it's so crazy to me that the most important things in our life, 
spiritual formation in Christ, life in community, we got no plan for. We just assume we're just going to wing it and it's going to be fine. And then we wonder why life is crumbling apart and why we're not where we want to be and why the temptation to sin just keeps tripping us up. First area of this spiritual formation plan is spiritual disciplines. We've talked about these a lot. Jason has written about them a lot. They were in your Friday Five email. If you don't get that, that's a great way for us to communicate to you. You can go back and look at those emails. He probably talked about a dozen of those spiritual disciplines. These are disciplines that Jesus taught us how to observe. I don't have time to go through all those, but I want to focus on three. Three disciplines real quickly that Jesus taught us to practice as part of our spiritual formation plan. One is silence and solitude. This is prayer. This is communicating with God. This is you talking to God and you listening to God. Of course, that's got to be one of them. Learning to listen for his voice. How well do you do this already in your life? If Jesus says in John 10 that his sheep hear his voice, friends, what's, what's the last thing that he told you? You hear him speaking to you? Because one of the things I found is Jesus is not going to interrupt your plans. He's not going to speak over all the noise in your life. Hebrews tells us that when we, when we intentionally seek him with all our heart, that's when we find him. As a culture, we're so bad at this, mostly because of the phone. When we have a minute, a moment, 30 seconds here, a minute here, we fill it with scrolling. We become so bad of just sitting and listening in silence for the voice of God to speak to us. The difficulty in life brings stuff to the surface that I didn't even know was in my own heart. And I'm able to take those things and bring them to Jesus. Anger and pride and doubt. You know when I know that I'm I'm neglecting this practice of listening, of silence and solitude, it's when I'm being snippy with my family. That just means, am I the only one that gets snippy sometimes? I just get in a funk and I just make everything worse. And in my head, the Holy Spirit's like, shut your mouth, Luke. Shut your mouth. And I just keep talking. I just, I get snippy. I get judgmental of myself. I get judgmental of others. I withhold grace and forgiveness. I think more of myself sometimes than I should. It's the practice of solitude and silence. Let me just tell you how this works in my life, and you don't have to use this, but I try to spend about 15 minutes in the morning just listening to God. And then I try to do the same thing in the evening, just 15 minutes. Maybe you just want to try five. Maybe you just want to drive in silence wherever you're going. You don't have to jump in and do exactly what I do. But daily, I just try to, I just try to ask the Lord, Lord, I'm listening. Would you speak to me? Then maybe that's the daily practice. Maybe there's a monthly practice that you could take three or four hours, go on a hike and just listen for the Lord. Don't bring your phone. 
Maybe we're not hearing the voice of God because we're not listening to the voice of God. Again, we could talk a lot about this. We don't have time. Let me move to the second area of spiritual formation. I mean, of, of the spiritual dis- disciplines. This is one corner of that triangle. And that's meditating on God's word. Notice I said meditating on the word, not just reading the word. This is the picture in Psalms 1 of the tree that's planted by rivers of water, that's bearing fruit in all seasons. Even when the climate is desert, even when there's no rain, it's okay because the, the tree keeps, keeps producing fruit because its root system is connected under the ground to the stream. And he says, the psalmist says, that that comes to us by meditating on the word of God. I've been walking through this book of Philippians, like I told you, for three or four months now. Almost every day, it's why we're still in chapter two after, after two months. Because there's just so much here. I would encourage you when you meditate on the word of God to just take a small passage. This is kind of the Lectio Divina. This is what the early fathers did as part of their rule of life. And they would just read one passage really slowly several times. And they would read it through once, slowly, And they would underline things that jumped out to them. And then they would read it through again, slowly. They might highlight some of the things. And then they would read it finally one last time with the thought of how might I apply this today in my life in a way that would honor God. I did that this week with uh, Philippians 1. I got caught in chapter 1 and verse 2 this idea of grace and peace he says in verse 2 grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ and I just thought I'm reading it slowly and thinking man why does he say grace and peace a lot of people don't say that he says grace and peace and so I started doing a little deeper dive a little study Lord what 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 do you have for me here and this is this brilliant thing that Paul did peace was the way that you would greet the good Jewish men would greet other their friends the jews this idea of shalom of peace but grace was a greek term it was what the greek the greeks understood and so paul comes in and brings both of them i love this grace and peace to you meditating on the word of god this word meditate literally means to chew it was the picture of a of a lion who had captured some prey, an antelope maybe, and he just sat there and chewed it. Kind of a gross picture, but it's, it's, just, it's just letting it just sit on your mind and your heart. Maybe you just write a few of those little words on a note card and take it with you. Maybe you make it the background of your phone. Maybe there's some way that you, you, just, you just bring it up all the time so it just stays. Maybe you memorize it. There's no better way to meditate on the word of God than to memorize God's word, to have a practice. I meditate on scriptures all the time that my mom and dad taught me 30, 40 years ago. And we just talked about them in our house and we talked about them around the table and they're still in my brain. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will bring those things to my memory and I'll just start meditating on, on who God is. I woke up this morning with this phrase, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You wake up with just that on your, on your brain? Just something you've heard? I was like, where is that? No. I opened up God's word. It's in Psalms 8. Just been meditating on that today. How majestic is your name in all the earth? Meditating on God's word. Can I just tell you something, friends? And I don't want this to feel. I'm not coming at you. We're not going to be who we want to be or who God wants us to be if, if we don't really have some sort of formation plan. Culture is, is going to indoctrinate us with the values of culture. And if you've watched the news lately, that's not something that you want. But God said there's a better way. There's the best way. There's a better story that I want to use you for. And I want to prepare you for it. It's what he says. It's God who works in you to will and to do. The third practice real quick that I'm going to throw in there is just this idea of Sabbath. Sabbath was a very strict law in the Old Testament that you could not work on Sabbath. You had to cook the food the night before. You could only take so many steps. They had so many rules about Sabbath. Jesus came and clarified that Sabbath is actually a gift for mankind. Of all of the things that God asked his people to do, it was the one that radically marked them as a counterculture than the rest of the world. Because the rest of the world, were, they, they were striving seven days a week. And for some way, in some miraculous way, the people of God would take off a day when they were living meal to meal. It's not like they had pantries full of food. And they had to depend on God to feed them. He did it in the wilderness with manna. You remember that from heaven? And on the day before Sabbath, they would gather enough for two days. And God would keep it for them. Sabbath is really about learning to rest. Maybe the key word here is to pray and play. To enjoy God's creation. To stop striving. To stop working. It's learning to lift your eyes up. It's learning what it means to rest in the finished work of God and trust that he's the one who keeps the world turning and not you. Speed Scazzaro, a pastor, author, wrote this. As someone who's been in leadership for nearly three decades, I can tell you that Sabbath is without a doubt the most important day of the week for my leadership. It is also the one day of the week I most believe and live out a fundamental truth of the gospel. How? I do nothing productive, and yet I am utterly loved. I love this. This is the hardest one for me. Just to stop, to slow down, to take a breath. We so easily and subtly fall into the trap that we equate our worth with what we accomplish, but Sabbath slows us down and reorients us again to grace. Again, this is not legalism. I'm not going to see you working on a certain day of the week and slap your hand for it or think less of you. Sabbath is a gift that Jesus gives us. And friends, let me just tell you, if, if you're courageous enough to take this step, to have a day of Sabbath, maybe it's a Sunday or Saturday, doesn't really matter, but Sunday's a work day for me, so mine starts Friday about 6 and goes to Saturday about 6, and I'm not perfect in keeping it. And 
No judgment. But if, but if you will set a day a week apart, God's going to meet you there, I promise you. It will literally restore your soul. My recommendations for a Sabbath, and maybe you're just going to get in and you're just going to take a four-hour chunk, but here are my recommendations. No work, no talk of work, no worries of work. No to social media, no to any news apps. The world's going to continue just fine without you. To play and pray. Yes to food, yes to naps, yes to worship, yes to the word of God, yes to life-giving friends, and yes to new adventure with God. A lot of us don't really believe the gospel because we refuse to stop. Those are the three. We could add seven more, but if, if we did those three, man, what God might do in our life. Next in the triangle, the first was spiritual disciplines. The next is interaction with the movings of the Spirit of God. Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that it's possible for us to walk in the Spirit. This all-powerful, creative personality, the promise strengthener, the paraclete that it talks about in John 14 and 16, gently awaits our invitation to him to act in us, with us, and for us. He says in his letter to the Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, leads to debauchery but be filled with the spirit you know what happens when you drink too much wine you get drunk and you start acting a little weird slurring your speech you're acting not yourself so paul says hey don't do that don't get drunk with wine instead be filled with the Spirit. You want to really transform who you are? Be filled with the Spirit. It's just this idea of continual filling with the Spirit. Yes, the Spirit moves into our lives the day of salvation for us. When we step across the line of faith, when, when, when we confess Jesus as Lord of our lives, as our only hope for heaven, then the Spirit of God moves inside of us. Now, what we have to do is give him the reins of our life every day. Because this is why Paul uses this idea of a living sacrifice, that we're a living sacrifice because we're a sacrifice that's laid on an altar and we just keep getting up and going on doing our own thing. We, we, we give control of our life over to the Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit of God, my life for your will, would you direct me, would you speak to me? The presence of the Spirit can always be recognized by the way he moves us toward what Jesus would be and do. When we forgive instead of getting bitter, when we love instead of hate, when we reconcile instead of running away, that's the Spirit's work in us. Outwardly, life in the Spirit really works itself out in two ways. One is the gifts of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God moves in your life after salvation, He brings with Him supernatural gifts. There are several listed in Scripture, gifts like hospitality or leadership or service or teaching. And when, when we operate in those gifts for God's glory, the effects are clearly beyond what we could do by ourselves. 
Those are the gifts of the Spirit. Everyone's got one. I hope you know what yours is. And I hope you're using it to edify the body of Christ and to glorify God. Similarly, there's not just the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. This gives us a sign of a transformed character. When our deepest attitudes, when our posture are those of Jesus, it's because we've learned to let the Spirit foster his life in us. Paul confessed again in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The outcomes of Christ living in us and through us Through the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. When the Spirit is working in us, there's conviction of sin that leads to repentance. It's that holy nudge. Sometimes you get to share the gospel with someone or to share an encouraging word with someone else to forgive all from the Spirit of God when he's at work. When is the last time you saw real evidence of the Spirit in your life? When conviction led to repentance? When he encouraged you when you were weak and weary? When he prompted you to call someone or text someone? When's the last time you even asked the Lord what he's doing in your own heart? Lord, what season is this? What are you preparing me for? Cooperation with the Spirit of God, the spiritual disciplines. Let me give you the third one. We're going to be through in just a minute. Finally, the third area is just this patient endurance through difficulty. I hate this one. I hate this one the most because I don't like uncomfortable things. I don't like hard things. But in God and his sovereign plan, this is what I love about him, and he does not waste pain in your life. He does not waste a tear. Everyone, every difficulty, every sigh, every tough week you walk through, God's going to use those, what the enemy meant for evil, God's going to take those and use them for your good. Isn't that amazing that we serve a heavenly father that does that? God develops a patient endurance in us as we walk through frustration and trials and temptations that we all face. Just the weight of walking in a broken world all the while trusting in him. You see this in the life of Joseph so much. Remember, Joseph was falsely accused and put in prison and sold into slavery by his brothers, and the, the guy just couldn't, couldn't catch a break. And then, just like this, he was just faithful, faithful another day. And God does more in Joseph's life in 24 hours than Joseph could have accomplished if he was free the whole time, striving in his own effort. Joseph just had to learn to wait on God. Just to just patient endurance in the things you don't understand. Friend, some things you just have to worship your way through. And you know, some of them you're never gonna understand this side of heaven. I do believe there's gonna be this 
grand reveal when we get to heaven where you can look back and be like, oh, that's what God was doing. Tim Keller says that if you knew perfectly all the things that God knows, you would allow the same things in your life that he's allowed because he's a good father. You know that place in Corinthians where Paul's wrestling, the apostle Paul's wrestling with what he calls the thorn in the flesh? You know, I, I've told you this before. My dad was a, was a pastor, preacher, and he was always preaching at us all the time. I really appreciate those lessons when I became an adult and was walking through more difficulty than I knew I had when I was a kid. The last couple of years of his life, we talked about this idea a lot, this idea of the thorn in the flesh. He would say, Luke, some days are heavenly days and some days are thorny days. And the heavenly days are amazing. It says if God pulls back the curtain a little bit and you start to see what he's doing, and you enjoy laughter and good food, companionship, some days are heavenly days. But then some days are thorny days. Some days the messenger of Satan is right there with you, bringing accusation against you, temptation in front of you, sickness and disease, hurricanes. Some days are thorny days. I can remember him saying it to me like he said it yesterday, but I want you to remember, Luke, that God is with you in all of them. And his grace will sustain you through every one of them. This idea of patient endurance. This is the good news of the gospel. I prayed with a couple Friday night whose six-year-old granddaughter had just died. after a drunk driver had hit them. And it's only in moments like that that you have real hope that what we're walking in is not the end. That there's a lot more going on in life than what we can see. As a matter of fact, the most real things are the things you can't see. So why Paul would say our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the principalities of darkness in the heavenly realms. Friends, I, I want my life to shine a light in a dark world. Teenagers in here, you're growing up in a really difficult age, and I am so sorry. But can I promise you that God has a better way you don't have to just be the teenager that mouths off at mom and dad, that sighs like they don't understand, that doesn't honor and bless them. You don't have to be that kind of teenager. You can be a teenager that says, God, I, I want to honor you in the way I talk to my parents, or the way I love them and respect them. You, that's, like, that's shining as a light in the midst of a dark world. Of course, none of your friends do that. 
But when you take that posture, listen, you honor God and you honor them. God's going to do something incredible in your life. You don't, you don't have to follow that way. Friends, you don't, you don't have to follow the way of the world. You don't have to be indoctrinated by culture. This is the other option. That we would have a spiritual formation plan so that we could shine like lights in the midst of a dark world. All three sides of this triangle of spiritual formation belong together. No one of the three will give us a heart like Christ without the other two. None can take the place of each other. Yet connected to each other, it brings us to an ever-increasing Christ-likeness. I'll read our passage to you as you, I invite the band up. I'll read this passage to you out of another translation. You must work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, inspiring both the will and the obedience for his own purpose. Show yourselves guileless and above reproach, faultless children of God in a warped and crooked generation in which you shine like stars in the dark world. Friends, who you are becoming matters to God. It really does. And he's offering to us he says, if you're heavy burdened and weary, just to come to him. To take, to yoke ourselves to him, to allow him to lead us into the life that he intended us to live. The better life, the good life, the greater life, the best life. And we release the outcomes of our life to a God who is way better at outcomes than we are. We're going to take communion in a minute, but I want to read this one more verse over you. I love this. This is another one that I was reading this week and just jumped out to me. Paul says in, in Romans 5, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we are also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You ever read that before? That God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I just love that. We're going to take communion in a minute. And it's just a, it's a practice that Jesus told the church to participate in. And it's just a reminder that it was... His death on a cross that purchased life for us. So when you take the bread and you dip it into the cup and partake, we remember his sacrifice that purchased life. We've got little cups here too. You don't have to do the communal one if you want to take just a little cup. But what I want to do, church families, I just want to pray. And if I can just pray aloud, and I just encourage you to pray silently right where you're at before we go to communion. I want to invite the Holy Spirit here. Holy Spirit, you told us if we invited you to fill us, that that's what you would do. And so we're inviting you to move, that you would move in hearts and minds even right now, that you would convict us of sin where necessary, that we could bring that to you in repentance, that you would encourage those that are weak and weary. Maybe there's relationships in this room that need to be reconciled. Maybe there's a teenager that's not been honoring their mom and dad with the way that they talk to them, with the way that they dismiss them. And they just need to go and actually apologize to them. I'm sorry for the way I've been treating you. 
Maybe a husband needs to do that with a wife. Maybe friends need to do that. Scripture says before you bring your gift to the altar, if, there's, if you need to be reconciled to someone, leave your gift and go and make that right. Then come back and worship with a pure heart. I just pray, Father, I pray for our, uh, my friends. I pray for my own heart. Lord, what would it look like for me to live a life like Nancy? Just one that wants to honor you in all that I do. Lord, what, what, what would you want to do in, in our hearts today? What if this community of faith really embraced this idea that we, we wanted to live compelling lives? We wanted to operate in a counterculture where when the, when the world says gossip, we hold our mouth shut. When the world says hate, that we choose to love. When the world says, man, you should go pay them back, we instead choose to bless them. When the world says you, sh- you should save all that money and spend it on you, that we're radically generous. When we've been hurt, that we forgive. Lord, would you do that kind of work in us? Would you conform us to the image of Jesus? Would we get so close to you on this earth that when we graduate from this earth to heaven, we hardly notice? Lord, have your way in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Communion is open. Our communion servers are there. Take as much time as you need to pray. We have a prayer team that's gonna be standing in the back. If you need to pray with someone, go find them. Maybe you need to pray for whatever's heavy on your heart. Just join them. Ask them to pray over you. Ask them to intercede with you. It'd be a great joy for them. I'll be in the back as well if you'd like to pray. Do what the Lord puts on your heart today.